Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why MidwayUSA offers super-fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Welcome to the Habitat Podcast, the podcast for wildlife habitat management, hunting strategy, and land stewardship. And now, your host, Jared Van Heeks. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Habitat Podcast. I'm your host, Jared Van Heeks, and we are here to become better habitat managers. We have another great episode for you guys here today. We have Bob Serafin out of Pennsylvania. He just knocked down a great 140-inch PA whitetail in the hills of uh, PA. So we got him on. We're going to discuss his game plan and how we can take some of that advice, put it to the test this weekend as another cold front is about to hit in the Midwest, guys. We're going to talk about using cameras, the power of the first sit, cold fronts, and also some browsing and noticing what the deer are doing in your area. Monitoring cameras across the board instead of just one spot as well. So, guys, thanks for tuning in. We have Bob Serafin from PA. I want to thank Packer Max Cult Packers, Huntwise, Killer Food Plots, Realtree United Country Land Pro, Michigan Whitetail Pursuit, Sound Barrier Hunting, and Morse Nursery. Guys, if you want to help support the podcast, check us out at habitatpodcast.com. Lots of gear up there. We have all of our podcasts up there. We have our land plan, habitat consultation services up there, all at habitatpodcast.com. Also, in the link below or the description of this podcast that you're listening to right now are the links to all of our sponsors and partners and their websites. That's another way to support us if you go there. And there's also some discount codes so you can save some money if you want to use any of the same products we are out in the field. So I thank you, listeners, for coming back once again. Let's get right into it with Bob Serafin out of PA with another Game Plan episode. All right, everybody, we're back. Another episode of the Habitat Podcast. We have Bob Serafin from Pennsylvania on the line. What's going on, Bob? Hey, how are you guys doing tonight? Doing great, brother. How are you? Fine, fine. Yeah, I don't think we're as good as you, considering Brian and I haven't tagged a buck yet, but. <laughs> it's been one of those years starting off pretty good. Yeah, yeah, seriously. Um, before we leak all the good details, uh, let's hear about, you know, 
who Bob is, how you know Brian and I, where you're from, all that good stuff, and then we'll get right into the deer hunt. Well, uh, my name is Bob, uh, Bob Serafin. I've been hunting for probably uh, 30 years. Uh, I'm from uh, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I hunt mainly uh, right around the suburbs of the of of the city. I uh, I know Brian through uh, a group of friends that uh, we all hunt together on leases now. Uh, I met Jared through Brian at the ATA show in 2000, I believe, in 18, and been following uh, the podcast ever since. Got a lot of great uh, uh, ideas from other uh, hunters and and uh, uh, farmers and biologists that, that, that do come onto your show. So it's something that, uh, you know, we look forward to every time a new uh, episode does come out that uh, we will learn something. This is a sport that we're always learning. Uh, every hunt, every sit, every time somebody, you know, uh, harvests a deer, we're learning from them. So it's an ongoing, uh, it's an ongoing educational forum that we have when you have friends that, that have the same passion as you that, that want to, you know, get out there and not just kill mature deer, but, you know, that have kids that want to want to get into the hunting, in, uh, uh, hunting industry and, and, uh, and, you know, not just tur- turkey, deer, uh, fishing, hunting, the whole, whole aspect of, of being in the outdoors is uh, what we try to do and, and try to get the youth involved uh, and it's, that's my main objective. We've, we've, along with Brian and a few other hunters, we started a, a buck pole. This is our fifth year, and and it's 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 more or less to get hunters together and help build the youth, help get youth involved, and and keep this going. Uh, you know, for generations. Yeah. So tell us a little bit more about that buck pole before we dive into your to your 2020 hunting season. I know you guys. You know, I, I know you and all your buddies, and, or at least a lot of them through Brian, and uh, all great dudes, obviously. And uh, it is cool how you get people together. You guys have, like, an annual meeting at this bar or restaurant. You guys show off, you know, the harvest of the year, and you give away prizes. Tell us a little bit more about that program you guys are getting together and, and maybe how it's recruited or helped some people get into hunting. So uh, five years ago uh, – we decided uh, to see if we could we could actually pull something like this off, and it was more or less to uh, to get friends and, and friends of friends together for a night uh, that we would you know give away prizes and hear stories of, of of their hunts and sometimes good, sometimes bad as far as not not making things happen and and things that may have went wrong. And it's there again. It's all going back to education, educating yourself uh, along with other hunters to try to make things happen for us. So, so five years ago we did we started, and it started at like 25 people, and then the next year it grew to like 40, then 45, 50, 55. Last year I think we're up to 72 this year, and it's it's basically. Uh, we've grown every year with youth. We have a youth division now. More and more, more and more uh, uh, youth want to get involved. 
and we make sure that the youth get something. Whether you shoot a deer or not, if you come to our party at the end of the year, you're going to walk away with something. A funny story, last year, uh, one of the youth, one of the little boys shot a, a spike. And when it was time to give out prizes, he, he didn't shoot the biggest deer, but he shot a deer. And we gave away a, a knife, an autographed knife, and the kid was like, uh, uh, amazed that he won something just because he shot a spike. It, it didn't matter to him that he shot the spike, that he shot a deer, and he was so happy. So we're, if you could see the, the enjoyment that was coming off of this kid's face and how he acted when he got a present, uh, a prize for, for doing this, it's, that's what it's about. I mean, we all were trying to, to, to kill mature deer uh, in this buck pole. Not everyone's going to shoot shoot a big deer, but this may be some people may be their first deer. But coming to our party, you, you, you know, there's no fee for our party. It costs twenty five dollars to get in. Uh, we try to get donations. Brian, Jared, Chris, a few of these guys who go to the ATA shows that would get, you know, some some merchandise from there would donate it to the buck pole, and that would just give us our you know, a lot more prizes. So we are always looking for donations. All the money that is raised goes to the hunters. Whatever we get back, we give back in cash prizes. We give back in door prizes. Uh, we've never, I never thought that in five years we'd have 72 people. Now, these could be 72 people that uh, that make it to 82 people next year. I've met so many people here. Uh, in in just this 50, 55 from last year, that I became friends with some, and you know we talk, you know where are you hunting, I mean, you seen anything? So it's more of like a network that we're creating, and uh, I mean, it's great. I mean, you don't realize yeah. how many people that are out there that that hunt you may not even know. No, I I I don't realize. I'm starting to realize. You know, Brian and I both. Uh, have met a ton of different people through even the podcast. So that network you mentioned of like-minded people, or like I like to say, you know, habitat nuts or deer nuts like us, it's, it's pretty cool to be connected on a closer level with people that you probably would have never met before. So I like what you're doing there, Bob. It's awesome, man. Thank you. So, Brian. Yeah, I, I can you, tell you from being there in person, it's uh, it's a pretty special time. I mean, I look forward to it every year now. and. I don't know what's better, the planning or the actual party, because it's it's so much fun, you know, seeing all the new people getting on board and everybody getting excited about it. And like Bob said, everybody wants to shoot a big buck, but that's not what it's all about. We get together and fellowship and, you know, like he said, get the youth involved and just to like a family atmosphere and just to have a good time. For sure. And One thing. Have you, Brian? Have you ever taken home any prizes from the buck pole? I have actually. I've uh, been pretty fortunate to take uh, second place archery with my 2018 buck, and uh, last nice. year I got I got the uh, Pennsylvania rifle uh, prize last year. But uh, we have some amazing uh, people that donate. Uh, local archery shop here, uh, local taxidermist here. And, and like Bob said, a lot of uh, volunteers that pick stuff up from different shows, and, and and even some people spend some money out of their own pocket to to buy some stuff for us too. So it's it's pretty special. 
For sure. No, that's awesome, guys. I uh, I should chip in a few bucks for that this year and enjoy myself now that I'm out of Michigan and into Ohio. So um, do you guys have any late entry fees, or is it too late? <laughs> no, got- this this – this uh there are some people that that you know didn't know about it you know and the word is spreading so we yeah we did as long as you didn't already shoot something so so to your listeners out there this is more or less fun we, we we're not it's not a big competition like some of these ones that you see on on the internet to where you're having teams this is a trust that we trust in fellow the fellow hunter that he's going to be you know truthful to us Yes, when there's money involved, sometimes, you know, things can happen. I've looked, as we started this five years ago, I'd looked at other polls, and the funny thing is some roles that were in their polls were like you can't you can't uh, register a roadkill. So if somebody drove by, uh, say, in Ohio, and there was a 170-inch deer that was, you know, hit on the side of the road, and, and these other polls, this is stuff that has happened. This is all, this is all fun. If you if you show up to the party, you're at least getting your food and 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 prizes for the twenty five dollars. Everybody makes that, or at least gets their money back for this. Uh, we're doing this as more like Brian said. This is more of to get hunters together, talk, you know, and and, and network with each other. Uh, we we did have we did have one. One gentleman who's in the buck buck pole who donated hundred dollars and it goes directly to the youth, so that will go into the youth part of it. So that hundred dollars, you know, uh, will will be either a bought prize or a cash prize that goes into uh, for the youth prizes. Which uh, he's from from uh, New York, but but he hunts in Ohio, and I, we really appreciate that he you know he donated money. Yeah, for sure. And and Bob's probably not going to tell everybody, but I can. He's uh, just a killer. I mean, that's why we got him on here tonight. Tells the story about this latest PA buck, but he's won it a couple years in a row, and everybody's gunning for him this year. So, Bob, tell us about your uh, latest buck hunt here. What was that last Saturday? If I'm correct. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so so last Saturday, so Friday, uh, Friday night, there uh, this buck had had shown up on camera for the first time. And so tell uh, us about that. Um, what's this? What's this spot look like? How far is it from your house? And you yeah, know, tell us a little bit about the habitat. Pennsylvania too, right? Yeah, so we're in, you know, I hunt in Pennsylvania and I hunt in Ohio, but this this uh, this harvest was in was in Pennsylvania. Uh, it's not far from from where I live. It's on a 140 acre parcel. Uh, I've been hunting hunting there for I don't know, probably 10 years since I moved into this community. I've, I've killed a few a few buck on on this on this property. Uh, I've managed it uh, for trying to shoot mature deer, which, which uh, when you're hunting near the city, you have people coming in, and so I've kind of patrolled it, did what I could, the best I could with cameras. And so one thing I, I got a shout out for is the tactic cam cameras and the spy phone cameras that we we use. 
the camera, the cell cameras is a necessity to me. I mean, to me as a tool that we, that you should have, if you can make it work because this buck came in, uh, I believe it was five forty four on Friday. And, uh, my son, that camera there. well, so I had the camera, I, I've had that, the camera there for a couple years. And last year, uh, there's always been scrapes on this field edge where I'm hunting. Last okay. year, I hung a stand in the area, but it was it was too far from where the scrape actually was. Not that I was planning on shooting to the scrape because this this area ha- has been must have been timbered, and the trees there's not a lot of mature trees to even climb uh, you know climb up. And I use a right. a, uh, a locking stand, so I don't typically hunt from from the ground. Gotcha. So. Uh, my son's birthday fell on Saturday, and uh, I was planning on going to possibly going to Ohio to do some work on the farm and maybe hunt Saturday evening. And one of the gentlemen on the farm that's on, on one of the leases in Ohio told me that I should go and kill this deer. I mean, I kind of laughed because years ago, uh, hunting in PA. <clears throat> Close to where this is, a mile away or two, uh, I was in the same situation. I was on a lease in Ohio, and I had pictures of a uh, a non-typical 182-inch non-typical and multiple cameras. I stuck just tr- just your standard trail cameras. I, I used the, uh, the Bushnells, and I had lots of pictures of that deer, and... Uh, I was planning on opening day gun season. I was planning on going to Ohio, not to get off track with this server. This is how this is how this whole thing panned out. I I was planning on going to Ohio, and my wife decided to have a football party, and she says, "You you got to stay home. You're cooking for the party." And she says, "Why do you need to go to Ohio when you have a deer like this here?" <laughs> and I kind of laughed at her because. She signed the, She made it sound like it's so easy to go kill this deer, and, and she doesn't realize the time and the effort. Well, she realizes the time because she sees. You know, she lets me do this. That's the great thing. She she's on board with me, uh, and we all try to do our family duties to make this happen. So when the time comes, your, your wife or your husband is, is understanding. So I was kind of. I actually was kind of mad because I wanted to go to Ohio to hunt that opening day of gun season. And uh, I didn't. I stayed home, cooked for the football party, and then the next morning was gun season. I was I was laying in bed, the alarm went off, and I'm like, I'm not hunting. I was, and I convinced myself to get up. Well, I went in the woods and with, with a bow, and I killed a 182-inch deer in Pennsylvania. And when I got back, uh, to the house, my wife. So I called that buck that I told you so, because I still have to hear the hear about it to this day about how she told me to stay home and kill that deer. Oh yeah. This was this was kind of the same situation, except a, a friend of mine told me who I showed the picture that night, and he told me stay home and go kill that deer. Well, what ended up happening was it was it was real foggy. I got up. It was it was probably the coldest morning we've had so far 
this hunting season in PA. So uh, I made it to the stand, and uh, right at daybreak, I started seeing a few doe out in front of me, uh, probably four or five doe, and they're, they're, they were mingling in front of me. What I ended up doing, what I did in the morning, I actually I sprayed everything down. I sprayed my boots, but when I came past the scrape, which was maybe a mistake, I should have maybe went around out and around, but I didn't, and I cut straight to the, straight to the tree. Well, when when I got up there, when the does come in, that one doe cut my track and knew something was up. And she didn't snort, didn't she didn't blow or snort, she didn't stomp. She was just real antsy and wanted to know what it was. So she was on alert, and she walked right in to eight yards from me, and she was looking and looking and looking. But she she's looking up, she's trying to smell smell by looking up, and, and like almost like a lip curl, watching her. And she uh, she couldn't figure me out. I I went to that stand also. Because I have another stand in another location, not on this 140-acre parcel, but another part of the like the, the, the city, and the wind was going to be perfect. Based on the the camera that was over the scrape, which way the deer were coming in and out. So I was pretty pretty uh, uh, pretty sure that the deer, if they would come, they would consistently keep coming the way they were. And that's what happened. What what happened was the does come across, and they were mingling in front of me. The one came to eight yards, and uh, I couldn't move because there was there was actually four. There was three there, and one to the right of me. And that the one to the right of me uh, was probably about twenty yards away, and and that doe was just was just uh, uh, browsing. So, so are they, what ended are up they happening? Have, are they feeding and heading back to bed? Is that what they're coming through this area for? Yeah, typically, based on the camera situation, it was it was almost like they were somewhat patternable. Within an hour, they would come from the river, to, from where the basically from the river area up, and they would go up into the they would go up into through the hardwoods to a thicket where they would bed. Okay, and, and in the evening, you'd see them coming back through the camera. Well, what ended up happening was the uh, the one doe that was to my right went behind me, and and I'm thinking I'm gonna get I'm gonna get busted, right? No matter what we do, how we spray down, there's always that one wind direction to get you. And I'm thinking this it's gonna get me now. I'm pretty high in the tree, probably I don't know 25 feet. So the deer goes behind me. Well, when the deer went behind me, I actually just closed my eyes, and I'm thinking, I'm waiting for her to to blow. Well, she didn't. She she made it past. She made it behind me towards where she was going to bed. And when I turned to look down, this buck that I that I shot was 12 yards away, looking at the doe that's been looking at me for probably a half hour. <laughs> so. So I can't move because I still have three doe around me. The buck is staring at the doe. And this is one thing that was really cool. The buck was, the rut was not in. He came in, I believe, sent check in that, that scrape and then saw the does up in the thicket kind of where I was. And he come walking up there. Hypothetically, I'm saying this because 
remember, guys, I have my eyes shut, right, because I'm waiting for the deer behind me to blow. So <laughs> after this was all, after I checked the camera, this is how I'm, I put all this together. Well, the the buck comes over and starts sniffing the bottom of my tree, my ladder sticks. And I can look out of the corner of my eye, and all I can see is his back. And, but he's right underneath the tree, but to the left of me, and I can't see his rack. But I know he's over there. He's sniffing my my, my uh, ladder sticks. So did you recognize so after them that, right away from the trail camp? Oh, right away. Yeah. And, and yeah, were you, right, right away. Were you worried at all with your, your scent being right there? Or did you have maybe thermals working for you at all? Or how did he not pick pick you up a little bit a little bit harder? So I, I think when – I think, like I said, no matter – sprayed down, I sprayed my boots, you know, my sick gear was all sprayed down. When I came over to the stand and I climbed up, he came over and he smelled it. So he smelled it. My The doe cut the trail. She smelled something, right? So the doe was on guard. He wasn't as much because when he, when he smelled it, he didn't spook or run. So what he did after he smelled it, he turned and he started going behind me. So here we go again. First, I had the doe go behind me and didn't smell me. Now he's going up the hill, the grade behind me. He gets about 20 yards, and he stops, and he runs another 20 yards up the hill. So he's about 40 yards. He makes it into a little um, bunch of saplings before he gets up to where they bed in the thicket. And when he ran ran up to the, the second 20 is when I stood and grabbed my bow. Now, at that point in time, I, I didn't really even worry about where the doe were. If I would have got busted, I, it, I would have got busted. But it, this is my opportune time. If something's going to happen to make it happen, I, I had to do it now. So he runs into this, the, the, the little group of trees, and he's looking around. He knows he's caught my wind. He's definitely caught my wind because the wind's coming from the river back. So as I stood and I spun around the tree and I'm standing there uh, with my bow, I don't know if this was an act of God or what, but the wind changed in a heartbeat and it came, it came from the south straight north and it came across my cheek. When I felt that, the deer calmed down and he ran down the hill towards me 15 yards away and stopped. Oh, wow. He didn't see me. He couldn't smell me because of the wind wind change. If the wind would have continued staying where it was, he was antsy enough to where you could see him moving his head, his ears, his body, the whole language of him. He was ready to continue going and, and run. I would think the next trip would have been up to the top of the hill to where they, they go to bed. And he came back down when the wind changed. It calmed him that much. This, I mean, we're talking 15 seconds, and I shot, I shot him at 15 yards away. So he, once you shot him, that won't happen. So after I shot him, uh, and I'm pretty high in a tree, I hit him just a little bit high, dead center, but a little bit high. He he runs straight up the hill towards the bedding, and it's a pretty it's a pretty decent climb, and he gets about three quarters of the way up, and turns hard right. 
So I'm thinking that he's gonna he's going on the death run. He's gonna run down, and I'm gonna watch him fall. Well, I did, he I didn't see him fall. So I I stayed in the tree, made a few calls. Uh, felt real confident with my shot, even though it was a little bit high. I felt real confident that uh, I'm not a hard shooter. I shoot for the lungs every single time. Uh, so I know I hit him square center, but just a little bit high. So I waited about an hour. And, uh, oh, the funny thing is when, when I shot that deer and he, he ran up the hill and he made a right, another buck come running down the hill and merged on. And because those does, those doe went to my far right, that other buck went over to where the does went. Hmm. So, uh, so the, the deer, so I, I got out of the tree an hour later, I find my, my arrow, it had, it had blood on it, but I didn't find anything in the first five to 10 yards, which I thought was kind of odd. So I, I was kind of a little bit wary. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. 15 yards. I'm shooting a Matthews bow. Uh, not that it makes a difference, but majority of the deer that I'm shooting, I'm passing through all the time. Very nice. uh, if I if I shoot them in the, in the lungs, more likely I'm gonna I'm gonna put pass through them the way I feel. So that's why I personally shoot at the lungs rather than try to hit them in the heart or the front shoulders or or whatever. Sure. So the deer runs. So I the one thing I would tell everybody is follow the deer as far as you can with your eyes in the tree because even though I I hit the deer high a little bit I still am thinking it's a lethal hit and after I went looking for the deer I didn't find blood for 50 yards he ran about 50 yards up up the hill before he made his right so I'm looking for blood I don't see any blood I have an idea where there's kick up where he made a right turn and when he made the right turn to flatten off that's when I found blood so I followed the blood through some high grass and I could see that the grass had blood probably, I don't know, three feet up. So I know if I hit him high, I'm getting blood at least coming out of the high spot. He won about, I won about another, four, so right now I won about 90 yards and I hit an opening and, and I'm not seeing the blood that I'm, I'm, I'm hoping I would see. So, uh, I had set my backpack and my bow down on the ground, and I decided I was going to make one ten foot swoop. And if I didn't find anything, I was going to I was going to back out because I didn't want to push the deer if it wasn't a lethal hit. So I went about the ten foot circle, and I found a lot of blood. And from that ten foot circle, he was probably another forty yards uh, uh, down over the uh, down over the hill. And when I got to him, as if, if when I got to him, if guys want to see on, we have our our for our buck pole, it's called city limits hunting. A lot of that's the other thing, Jared. What we do for this city limit hunting, if you join, you become part of our Facebook friends, and you can see updated days if somebody's killing the deer or somebody shot a doe or whatever you want to post on there. So. When I found the deer uh, on the opposite side, the uh, the arrow hit high, but when it came out, it came out dead center. So 
judging your height in a tree stand, if you hit dead center, depending on the elevation, I could have came out through the guts. Right. Right? Yep. And sometimes on a gut shot, the, the guts will, will plug up the hole and you won't get blood. But in my case, I hit it a little bit high, and when it came out, it came perfectly center. And I, I'm just guessing the reason he didn't bleed going up the hill is because uh, uh, as he's going up, maybe the blood's not coming out through a huge hole that that uh, yeah, it was uh, probably. And right. So yes, I was I was stoked. I mean. Uh, I've killed a few deer in the past years with one sit. Uh, you know, the whole thing about, uh, you set the stand, you wait for the right time, you wait for the right, right wind, all these things kind of come together. You know, if you see him on camera, you may only have one time to get in there and possibly kill that deer. Uh, there again, there again, uh, I've been fortunate to sit and stands and the first sit that made and killed three deer in I think in the last couple of years last year in Ohio I killed a deer on the first sit, uh, but all these things that you learn on podcasts like yours and when you hear other hunters talk about what was the strategy to get in there how did like you're asking me what what played the biggest part as far as you being able to 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 get that there one of the biggest things and I'll just keep saying it is cameras you don't have to go in there. And you're not setting up the woods. The cameras stay. Now that camera's been in there for two months, right? So my my intel for two months is updated every day when they go through there. And you're kind of looking when's the good buck. And it's it. The funny thing is, the the deer or the deer seem to be changing. I was starting to get some bigger deer as this we get progressively progressively closer to the rut. And this was the biggest one that I had on camera by far in Pennsylvania uh, that came across there. So I'm fortunate. No, man, congratulations. You're you're real fortunate. That's a great Pennsylvania buck. Um, just so we kind of have an idea on how big it is, what did you score him yet or give us a rough idea? I, Yeah, he's going to score right around 140. Nice, man. That's Very nice. He had, yeah, that's awesome. He man. had he uh, he had like uh, twenty five twenty five and a half inch one one side one main beam was twenty five and a half inches. Wow. He was he was four inches from touching on both main beams, so he had really long main beams. He's a good Pennsylvania deer. I mean, uh, as Brian can contest, there are bigger deer out there. Don't get me wrong. Uh, as far as Pennsylvania up and coming, uh, but they're far and few between. I mean. There, there's a lot of small eight points, and, and what we've tried to do this year on our farms in Ohio is set a set a 140 inch minimum. Uh, we're trying to grow the deer, and, and and some people are like, well, the farmers are going to kill. That's always a chance you take, but if the deer makes it, and he makes it through the year, and next year could put on 15, 20, 25 inches, we could have something special. But I understand it's not all about trophies to people. And people want would want to harvest a deer. And, and, I, and listen, I, I don't want to make anybody feel uncomfortable. You shoot what you feel comfortable with. I'm Absolutely. never going to put a hunter down for shooting right. anything that they think is a trophy to them. That's the only you know. That's why I'm glad to see the youth and a youth might might win the youth division with a an eight point one at last year. And we were happy for this this young this young young uh, 
young guy. Right. So hopefully we can get more more uh, youth involved. No, I always, always. We, we need to, and I do my best, at least with, with my kids for now, and, and hope to be, you know, getting others into it too. Um, I know I have a few friends that listen that aren't hunting yet that, that are going to get into it. So even if they're not youth, I'm going to try to introduce at least one new person to the outdoors every year. It's kind of this little internal goal I have. Um, so I feel you there. I like it. I like it. Um, back to your, your beautiful Pennsylvania buck that I'm thinking you might have shot in Ohio and drug home into PA. Uh, <laughs> totally kidding. Totally kidding. Um, what, so the stuff that I'm taking from this, first of all, is cameras, right? Your most recent information, like Brian talks about, Mark Drury talks about, you saw that picture, you got in there the next day. I think I think that is dynamite with, with cell cameras especially. Um, I'm learning a ton about my 15 acres this year with a few cell cameras out there that I haven't learned the past three seasons hunting it. I mean, it's that simple, just being able to monitor without pressuring. I think that is probably your your number one uh, game plan takeaway here. But also what I thought was nice was the cold front. Can't ignore that. That was huge. It was huge in Michigan here. I was camping with my kids and wife, uh, so I got to enjoy bonfires instead of big bucks. But uh, it was fun. But that was a great... Saturday, right? That Saturday morning was, I mean, Saturday in general, Sunday morning, all great mornings this past weekend. And then if you go back and look at first sits, if I look at all the bucks mounted on my wall, I think I think 90% of them are first sits in a spot. And that's no joke. Um, how do you feel about those those three things, the most recent information with the cameras, the cold front, and the first sits? Am I missing anything to why uh, you think you were successful on this this nice buck? Well, no. Uh, the, going to the cameras first. I mean, cameras tell all. Like you, like you said, if you can stick a trail camera, a cell camera. I'm going to say I'm going to more and more cell cameras. That's less time you have to be in the woods. Less time you have to, you know, continue walking to that camera. Uh, the deer feel less pressured. Uh, that's definitely a tool, and I'll repeat it. I've talked to many people. Uh, when when I shot this deer, uh, people people were asking in general how everything happened, and and uh, cell camera is is the way to go. That's my opinion. And these these people that I've talked went out and bought them. Tacticam cameras is what I was using on on that specific uh, sit there, and people have uh, they've gone out and bought them. The cold front. The cold front was a really determining factor why I was going. We've had temperatures in PA that were, you know, 70 degrees. Like today, uh, you know, uh, in Pennsylvania, it was almost 80 degrees. So uh, the cold front, I think, drove these deer to be on their feet, and it was proven. I mean, I, I'm, I'm see, I saw four deer, including the buck, would be five deer, and and one thing I didn't didn't really say is after I was looking for the deer, I saw multiple deer moving, feeding. You know, I you know I'm I'm tracking blood, and there's a deer feeding. You know, fifty, sixty yards away from me. So I think that morning they were definitely on the move. Based on 
the other cameras that I have in the Pennsylvania area within five miles of where I live, the deer were moving on all the cameras. So by one of our, our, our hunters that are on our lease by telling me this, hey, you've got to go out and kill this buck, he was the first person I called, and I thanked him for making me feel like I have to go out there and do it. Like my wife, you know, I thanked her for making me basically feel that I, you know, stay home and do this. And people will laugh uh, and say, oh, you knew that deer. I did know the deer there. We all know where deer are. We all have cameras. But to go there and make it happen on your first sit, that's, to me, that's something special. Uh, Ohio last year, first sit, killed a deer. The year before that, first sit in the stand, killed a deer. Two years, three years ago in Ohio, again, first sit in that stand. So I've been fortunate that, that the deer that I've been kill, uh, killed recently for, was, was the first sit. Uh, when I killed the 182-inch deer, it wasn't the first sit in there. It was probably my third sit. And there again, opening day of gun season, and the funny story about that there, I had many pictures, and, and some of your listeners may feel laugh and feel the same way as what I'm going to tell you, is I had many pictures of this 182-inch deer. And back when trail cameras, this was probably seven years ago, back when trail cameras weren't, weren't really the, 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 uh, the big thing yet, I had six or seven cuttybacks. And I was so determined to try to kill this deer that I would stick, I stuck five cameras on probably a 250-foot strip that had deer trails going through there. And I never got this deer on more than one uh, part of the trail at at a time. He would never go through two cameras. So I kind of uh, uh, let things lull early in the Early in the hunting season, figuring out, oh, I'll get him, and he disappeared. He disappeared in that in that two weeks during the rut. Where he went, I don't know. So I was kind of bummed because I figured that somebody else had shot him, and I didn't do my homework correctly because when we see something like that, I, that's a learning experience that I've had. When you see a deer of that magnitude, or 150, or whatever deer fits your your uh, you know a deer that you really want to, you really want to try to kill, uh, you got to stay on that deer and you got to do it smart. And, and like I said, we've learned over the years how to become a better hunter and we still have, I still have ways to go. I'm still learning from, from people on your podcast, from planting food plots, from, you know, camera placement, uh, stand positions. So this, the 182 inch deer disappeared and then he showed back up like a couple days before opening day gun season on one camera. And I knew, I knew that, that he would get shot by somebody in gun season that hunts uh, somewhat near where the area I hunt with. So fortunately, my wife forced me to stay home. I went in there with a bow, and he came, he came out of a draw, down through a, uh, down through a draw. And at that point in time, I was using Evercom as another thing I learned. You know, I'm watching these infomercials and these hunting shows, Evercom. So when I came to the stand where I had a park, I came straight into the stand because I can't circle all, all the way around to get to that stand. I put Evercom on my boots, and as I was coming in in the dark, any tree that was big that I had to kind of climb over a little bit, 
I'd hit it with a little bit of Evercom. And I climbed up into my stand, put a little bit on the tree that I was on, climbed up into the stand, and that deer came down uh, like a half hour after daylight, came straight down through the bull. Wind was perfect. This spot I had, and I have another spot which I would have hunted probably this deer if I wasn't getting get, if I didn't get any more pictures. I would have went down to what I call the bull stand, and this deer came through this opening and hit the Evercom and just sat there like nothing. Even though the wind was in my favor, I always say that that possibly played a part. That deer smelled it, and it was just, you know, lick, lip curl on its lip, and then stepped out, and that was a 15-yard shot on that deer, and it ran. That was the longest wait in my life because the deer ran 20, year, 20 yards and looked like it bedded down, but it actually expired. But its rack was, was fairly big, and uh, its head looked like he was still had his head up in the air, which in a sense... <laughs> he, he probably expired within 10 minutes, but I waited like two hours because I figured if I got out of the tree and I went down and bumped him, he would run around the bend and, and somebody probably would be on the other side of this hillside and would kill him, would shoot him with a gun. So two hours later, I get out and I think I'm being stealthy and I sneak out around him and I go get my vehicle and I drive up a certain road and I come in on him straight on and he was dead. So that was... That was one. That was a happy moment there. Amazing. Well, Bob, you managed to kill a buck in what a lot of people call the October law, and I hope our listeners picked up a lot of information from you. You, you gave us a lot of good intel, uh, a lot of good things to look for, and uh, you know we're starting to turn the page in the the last ten days of October here that are going to start changing even a little bit more, but. I think our listeners will still be able to pick up on your tips about the cameras, cold fronts for sure, first sits. I mean, we talk about it all the time. It's huge. But I uh, just want to thank you for coming on and telling us all about that and uh, looking forward to spending some time with you in Ohio and Kansas this year. One, one thing before we go, guys. The funny thing that Brian just mentioned was the law. The Two days prior to this, to, to, to on, on Tuesday of this of last week, I was watching the Drury's, and they go through the the, the, the moon phases and the time phase, and, and this was that law that Brian's talking about. And the funny thing is, in the show, uh, Mark takes his mother into a blind, and she shoots a doe, and then I believe the next day she goes out during the law and she kills a nice buck, and Terry did also. So I tell the listeners, it may be a lull, but if you have a cold front or, 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 or a change in temperature somewhere where you can get out, I'd get out. I, I, would, I would definitely take that chance. Cameras, if you have a deer that's somewhat, not that this deer was patternable yet because I only got one picture. And to tell your listeners, when I shot the deer, my phone was, my phone was in my pocket and it was, it was kind of like vibrating. And what happened was that deer went right past the camera pit camera in forty within forty seconds it had an arrow in it. So Very I couldn't nice. see him because I had my eyes closed. But yes, I would I would say if you had that drop in temperature, no matter the law or not, that's my I'm sold on it now. I would get out there if you can and see if you can make it happen. Well, Bob, I think uh, this was very helpful. Uh, for a game plan episode, uh, more so, um, I got a bunch of notes here than than I was expecting. I love it. I think uh, 
you mentioned a couple more things there. You know, the, the the moon's coming up. Full moon is the 31st, so you got, you know, people like to hunt the week into the full moon and the week after. Well, we're about to kick off the week into the full moon. And then for anybody hunting in the Midwest, uh, we have a cold front hitting Saturday morning, guys. Friday night, Saturday morning, over the weekend. Um, I'm going to launch this tomorrow, which will be Friday morning. And so the next day, I mean, we're getting hit with a – in Michigan, we're going from 50s to, like, 33. Um, wow. So – I, and I think and I think that's kind of might hit you guys on uh, maybe Saturday or Sunday, but it's it's happening. So I think this has been a very helpful episode, Bob. I again congratulate you on that beautiful Pennsylvania buck. I mean, a one forty one forty in PA, and you you tracked them down with your cameras and got on a first sit in the cold front. I mean, I think that's how these stories are made. Literally, like that's textbook. So nice job, Bob. I really appreciate it. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much, listeners, for coming and listening once again to the Habitat Podcast. We really appreciate it. If you could, please do us a favor. Leave us a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you listen to this podcast. If you type out something nice, I will send you a free Habitat Podcast decal. If you haven't been to our website, HabitatPodcast.com, we have our Habitat Property Consultation Services on there under the Land Plan tab. Check out our HP land plans there. We also have hats, t-shirts, and decals up at habitatpodcast.com. Of course, all of our podcast episodes. And then we have a new Habitat Podcast journal where you can learn about deer anatomy and some cool thoughts, um, you know, more of a blog post from us every now and then. We'd really love it if you went over to our Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube, found the Habitat Podcast, and please subscribe. That really helps us. And thank you very much to our sponsors. We have Michigan Whitetail Pursuit, Packer Max Cultipackers, Huntwise, Killer Food Plots, The Habitat Hook, Realtree United Country Land Pro, Lake States Realty and Auction, Sound Barrier Hunting, and Morse Nursery. Thank you so much, guys, for tuning in once again. Get back with us soon. We're going to have another great episode for you as we become better habitat managers. of HuntStand's Make Your Mark podcast. If you haven't already, download the free Waypoint TV app to listen to our podcast and watch the original films from HuntStand Presents anywhere, anytime, and on any device. A life that has the stories to back it. A life to be proud of. It's a Winchester life. Yeah, baby. Six, eight, Western. Mule there, baby, right there. Tune in every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV.